the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk today about something that is on lots of minds right now. How local school districts are handling the current iteration of the coronavirus pandemic. We're going to hear from two superintendents about the decisions they're making, the feedback they're getting, and what they need to keep schools open full-time in person. And then we're going to talk about former Detroit quarterback Matthew Stafford's Super Bowl birth. Should we be happy for him? That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. So we've all been impacted by the COVID pandemic, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that it has affected one institution more than almost any other, and that is our schools. Whether you are a parent, whether you are a student, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a principal or a superintendent, I think the ways in which the pandemic has disrupted your life is a little more profound and going on much longer than it is in other sectors of our lives. For almost two years now, schools have had to accommodate these ongoing needs, these ongoing ripples from the original COVID-19 threat. This has sometimes meant virtual learning, Other times, it's meant temporary closures. And on other occasions, it's meant losing more teachers amid an already bad teacher shortage here in Michigan. Now, recently, Governor Gretchen Whitmer said she wants school districts to end virtual learning and go back to full-time in-person. She hinted at it during her State of the State address last week. And then the next day, here on Detroit Today, she said it more strongly, saying it's time to move past some of these disruptions. She noted that she will try to assist school districts engaged in virtual learning transition safely back to classroom learning. She still hasn't said exactly what that means. We're waiting to hear more. But all of this raises really big questions. Where are school districts right now? How are they feeling? What are they struggling with the most? And what do they need from state and other government officials to be able to go back to all-person, all-in-person learning safely? That's where we begin the conversation today. What is it going to take to get our schools back to more normalcy? We want to hear from you of course, about what's going on in your school district. What have you made of your school district's response to COVID-19? What are the things that they have done really well? And what are the things that you feel like they're struggling with? Also give us a call and let us know, are your kids in school full-time? Are they back in the classroom? Are they back in the classroom wearing masks? Or are they in some form, still doing virtual learning? Are they in some way disrupted still by the COVID-19 pandemic? And if they are, tell us what you'd like to see. How would you like the school district to get kids back into the classroom? What would you think they would need to do and what support do you think they need to get to that point? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Joining us now to talk about what's going on in their districts are two superintendents who have been trying to manage all of this disruption. 
John Dean is superintendent of the Gross Point Public School System. John Dean, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Excited to be here. Also with us is Ryan McLeod. He is the superintendent of East Point Community Schools. Ryan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate the opportunity to share our experiences. So I, I want to start with both of you just talking about what is the pulse of things in your school district right now? How are parents and teachers and students feeling at this moment? And how are you handling the disruptions of COVID-19? Uh, John Dean, I'll start with you. Sure. Thank you. I, I guess, Stephen, the first thing that comes to mind is we've been back full face-to-face all school year. Um, we started that last school year. But last year, we had options for families, a virtual option, as well as some face-to-face learning. This year, we've been 100% face-to-face all year. Doesn't mean it's always been easy. Doesn't mean it's always been perfect. And certainly, like everyone, every parent, every teacher, every kid I talk to is both tired of the pandemic, as well as just tired of the different things we've all had to do, whether those are mitigating measures, or all the uncertainty, or all the concerns we have about our own health, the health of our loved ones. Everyone's really tired from that. At the same time, we have real learning challenges in front of us, and those are the things that, you know, as I sit here in a high school today, that our kids are working on right now, just on the other side of this wall. And I know from reading the news reports and from talking with friends who live in the Gross Points that there's a pretty powerful political tension that has accompanied all of the the COVID disruption. Uh, give me a sense of where you think that is now and whether there is still a real cleave in that community about how to deal with COVID-19, what should be done, what shouldn't, how you respect people's liberties, uh, how you respect people's need for safety. Uh, th- that was pretty hot uh, for, for a long time. What does it look like right now? Uh, th- that's, a fair, that's a fair statement. Um, in terms of it being pretty hot. I guess one of the things that I think a little bit about is across our country, we're seeing every issue become politicized. And I don't think Gross Point or other communities are any different. I do think Gross Point is a very educated community, a community where people care passionately about their kids. We're always going to have like intense conversations. Um, I think across the board, people in my community agree the best place for kids is back face-to-face learning. We really haven't had, my words, a lot of drama about that this year. We've been back the full year. I think that's been really good for kids. It's been hard, but it's been the right decision for kids and teachers. Mm. Yes, we still do have challenges around conversations about masks or no masks or this or that piece. We do. We are in Wayne County. There currently is a mask mandate. I think that it's hard for some people that don't feel they want that mandate coming from outside of the district. I understand that. At the end of the day, though, my focus is the teaching and learning in this district. And right now in our district today, we have 6,700 kids here today in school learning, and we have 800 or so employees teaching them. It's, it's a good place to learn right now. It's hard, but it's a good place. Hmm. Um, Ryan McLeod, fill us in on where you are in East Point. Uh, what's going on out there and how are parents and teachers and students reacting to it all? So in East Point, we're in a very similar situation to what uh, Dr. Dean just described related to the in-person instruction. We've been doing that all year. Uh, we also did it all year last year. Um, and, and again, we just noticed uh, at the end of the uh, first year of the pandemic, uh, what we noticed was a, a real lack of engagement uh, in the virtual uh, space by our students and our families. And I, I think, uh, you know, we've learned a lot since then and we've become better at that. Um, but it's, it, again, these things come with a number of challenges that we've had to navigate. And I think uh, so many of, of the, the challenges related to the political nature of some of the decisions are just trying to keep our schools open, uh, keep them healthy and a place where kids can come and get their social emotional needs met at the same time that we try to address the, uh, the, their academic needs. And we do know uh, over throughout this pandemic that uh, we've, we've had students who have uh, slid backwards in terms of their academic performance. And so we've really been doing everything we can to get them into the classroom and provide a high level of, of intervention and services to to be able to get 
them back on track so that when we're post-pandemic, uh, they can kind of hit the ground running and still accomplish their academic goals. Mm. And and what about that tension that I was talking about that we've heard a lot about in the Gross Point public school system? Uh, as John Dean pointed out, it's not unique to, to Gross Point. There are lots of places where there are a lot of different opinions about how we ought to deal with COVID-19 and its disruptions. What's that look like in East Point? So for us, one of the things we've just made a commitment to doing all throughout this pandemic is following the guidance of our local health department. Um, and in addition to that, being responsive to the needs and desires of our parents and staff. And, and we tend to have, uh, we tend to see eye to eye on some of those things. So we've not really seen a huge uh, division within our, our community here. Um, we, we've had uh, masks required in our schools throughout this, uh, throughout the pandemic. And we tried over the summer to start to um, loosen that a little bit. Uh, but as we came back into the school year and the numbers started to increase, we uh, returned back to, to requiring masks. We've not really seen a whole lot of resistance to that. Uh, but we do continue to see in our community uh, a hesitancy to uh, get vaccinated, and that's going to uh, ha- have to shape how we continue to respond as, as you know, post-pandemic and what we do there. But we've really done as much as we can to try to uh, meet the needs of our students and parents and their desires and demands related to uh, those those various mandates and then also uh, working into that and understanding the needs and desires of our staff. Mm. So, as I said in the open, we all heard Governor Whitmer say during her State of the State address last week that she'd like to move toward in-person learning across the board, across the state. Uh, She, uh, again, came on Uh, this program the next day and said it a little more strongly and said that she really does want superintendents to 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 move that way um i know that that uh you are two superintendents who have navigated that a little more aggressively than uh, some of the districts that we've seen in terms of getting back to in person but the question i guess i have is what you feel like you need from the state. I mean, the, the governor's not in charge of public education, although she has a lot of tools and perhaps some money at her disposal that could help school districts uh, deal with uh, deal with this disruption and and get back to in person learning full time a little a little quicker. Uh, I, I'd love to have both of you talk about what your reaction was to what the governor said, and then I guess what was on your wish list for. Uh, what she could what she could do for you and and your districts, uh, Ryan McLeod. I'll start with you this time. Well, I, this is a tricky question because uh, one of the biggest challenges we've had as a district, and I know uh, early on in the year it was um, in the media related to our staffing shortages, and we're seeing staffing shortages not just in teaching in our teaching ranks, but also bus drivers and paraprofessionals and secretaries and all of our positions in the district, uh, much like we're seeing in lots of other areas of our economy where uh, the workforce is being challenged and and it's thin, uh, we're seeing the same things in our schools. So, um, you know, as we're looking to the future, I think there needs to be a deep discussion about what we do and how we uh, treat schools as we move forward. Uh, there's been a huge influx of additional um, money that's come into schools through, from the federal government and then also through, through the state. Um, and that we need to have continued investments uh, in our public schools as we move into the future. Um, the, the other piece is that's probably a bigger and more challenging thing related to the teacher shortage is uh, how we treat and what we think about teachers and the teaching profession as a whole. Uh, over over years, there has been kind of a um, and an, what I would say an attack on on the teaching profession that's made it really hard for people to want to be a part of that. So I think there are some things that might be immediate, but then I also think 
those immediate uh, things at the state level in particular are things that will be helpful right now. But we also need to have much bigger conversations about, you know, how we're uh, treating and what we're looking at uh, to get from our schools and how we're going to uh, invest in those schools long term in order to be able to overcome the challenges that we're going to continue to face long term uh, through this. That, yeah, that teacher shortage issue, of course, was around before COVID here in Michigan and, and in some other states. And it's, of course, become much more acute because of, of the pandemic. And I don't think that the, quote, end of the pandemic, however you want to define that, and I'm not sure any of us really even knows what that means at this point. But past that point, certainly we will still have this really profound difficulty attracting people to become teachers and even more importantly, keeping them once they once they become uh, once they become teachers, uh, Ryan McLeod, talk about uh, talk in a little more detail about what that looks like in your district. You're saying it's not just teachers; it's lots of other staff as well. Yeah, and it is uh, different staff members that go across the you know across the district throughout the district. But the teaching uh, and and having access to enough teachers is really what allows us to keep our our doors open for our core purpose, which is the instructional needs of our students and being able to deliver that in, in our classrooms. We had to close earlier uh, in the year in our middle school because of a lack of staff. We had a number of uh, last minute resignations that we were unable to fill. And I just didn't, I did not have enough uh, teachers to put in front of students to be able to, to run the schools during that time. So uh, we did have a period of remote instruction for that, for our middle school while we tried to restaff and hire. We had a few people that were already in the pipeline. But what we're seeing with, with teaching is that years of, of uh, really poor policy in Lansing has led to um, people who are looking at their teaching careers and really asking themselves, is this a career that I'm interested in being a part of anymore? Um, there's the, the amount of flexibility that schools have uh, school districts in terms of working with their teachers unions to uh, ensure adequate pay and and to provide uh, teacher benefits and things have been challenged over the years. Um, there is a requirement now, for example, for teachers to pay a portion of their health care. And if you look, I was just driving to work the other day and there was a truck in front of me and one of the things on the back of the truck advertising to uh, put a driver in the seat of that truck is fully paid health benefits. Well, that's not accessible by law in the state of Michigan for our teachers. They have to pay that. And if they have the opportunity and oftentimes our, our professional staff, they have degrees, they're, they're professionally trained. They, they can go and work lots of other jobs where they potentially will get fully paid health benefits and get paid additional money beyond what we can afford to do uh, in, in our school district and and for a lot less headache and a lot less work. And it's and that's it's it's not a poor me for teachers because teachers come into this and and do it for the passion of wanting to teach and educate children. Uh, but but when other things uh, that are outside of the control of the local school district are are influencing the ability of that district to be able to recognize and take care of their teaching staff in the way that we might want to. Um, those are the kinds of things that I think will will long term start to that it's going to help us right now, but it also is going to help us long term to uh, repair the the teaching shortage that has been kind of in building over a long period of time, probably at least the last 10 years. So, John Dean, I'd love to hear you talk about your reactions to what Governor Whitmer said last week. And then again, what what that sparked in your mind in terms of the kind of support that school districts need to, to reach what she is saying now is is important for for all school districts. Um, yeah, one of the things, Stephen, I think about is I found her comments last week unambiguous in terms of we need to have kids back in school. And I think one of the big decisions we made in the dist our district this year, last summer, was we made that decision here. And once we made that decision, it made our following decisions a bit easier because we had clarity. 
you know, I, I received an email from one of my teachers a couple weeks ago thanking the district, not just me, but the district, for being clear about how we were going to be in session this year face-to-face. And from her perspective as a teacher, that gave her, like, some relief because she knew what to expect every day. And I, I appreciated from the governor that clear language that we need to have kids in school because that's something that I think most parents, most kids, most teachers, um, I think most superintendents and administrators all, all agree with. I would echo many of the things Ryan said in terms of long-term. We have some short-term funds that districts have been able to put in place to offer, you know, summer programming, support for some of the COVID learning gap things going on, and we appreciate that. But at the same time, we need long-term reform. One of the things Ryan mentioned, I, I guess I'll put some data on that. This year, we hired, I think it was 45 new teachers for our district, and of those 45, only three or four, I believe, were directly out of university, mm. meaning those were teachers we hired from other districts or other, other careers, and that's not particularly sustainable. And, you know, when I look at, and I saw some data, I think in the 2000s in the state of Michigan, you had about 8,000 people every year get their teaching certificate. We're now down to something like 2,000 every year. That's not sustainable. And we need to make teaching a place where people want to be. It needs to be less political. It needs to be less hard in terms of pressure needs to have better compensation. All those things have to happen, and we need help on all those things from Lansing. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with two of our Metro Detroit superintendents about what's going on in their school districts. Let's go get going on the phones as well. We want to hear from parents and teachers and other people in the school community about how your school district is dealing with this particular iteration of COVID. Are your kids back in school in the city of Detroit? Students are returning to class today for the first time in six weeks. Tell us how that's been. Tell us how excited maybe you are to see kids go off to school in the city of Detroit. Let us know what's going on if you live in another district and let us know what you think public officials ought to be doing to make it easier for schools to hold full-time in-person classes again. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking right now about school districts and COVID-19, what they're doing, what they still have to do to respond to the disruptions of the pandemic. There's a real patchwork of responses here in Metro Detroit. There are districts like Detroit, for instance, that have not had in-person classes for the entirety of this calendar year up till today because of the disruptions from COVID. There are other districts that are back full-time in person and trying to make that work, trying to figure out masks and other kinds of protocols, the ways in which we have to keep people safe during all of this. As always, uh, we want to hear from you about what's going on in your world, what's going on in your school district. Are you a parent who is sending your child off to school for the first time this year today in Detroit? What do you think about what's gone on for the past several weeks? What do you think about the idea of them going back to schools? They'll also be required to take weekly COVID tests in Detroit, uh, all students. Um, what's going on in other districts, uh, where, wherever it is that, that you live Uh, Tell us how your district is responding to all of this. Tell us how you're responding to how they're responding. Uh, What do you think of the way that they're trying to keep people safe? Do you think they're doing enough? Do you think that we need more from state officials, for instance? More money, more guidance, more pressure perhaps to make sure that things are done in a way that uh, doesn't keep spreading the virus. As always, the number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, would we would love to 
include you in the conversation that way. We've gotten a couple of <laughs> Twitter comments suggesting that we talk with students about this. We'd love to hear from students about this issue, but I would be a little skeptical if we got a call from a student at this hour. It's 9.30 in the morning. They ought to be in class, whether they're in school or whether they're virtual. But if there are students out there who are not in school for whatever reason today and you want to take part in the conversation, talk about what this experience looks like for you, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, let's go to Xavier in Detroit. Xavier, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Uh -huh. I have to make a quick point because I have to run back into the classroom myself. <laughs> I'm a teacher. Regarding uh, teacher's salary, I think a great solution, if a conversation could be started about having uh, PhDs um, paid for, for teachers, you'd, you'd, you know, the PhD salary for a teacher is something like, uh, you know, 80000 which is which is enough money you know, which is a, a good salary, mm -hmm. but you know, for people to pay for that, it's you know an exorbitant amount of money to pay for a PhD. But if the district or if the state of Michigan would pay for PhDs, you'd get these really qualified, super smart teachers who are paying who are being paid a decent salary. Yeah, yeah, uh, Xavier, I really appreciate uh, the call and and the suggestion, and I love that it comes from a teacher, somebody who is you know, doing the work and thinking about uh, the things that uh, might keep you on the job or might encourage you to go and do do something else. Uh, I, I want to have our two superintendents react to this idea, not just the idea of paying for teachers to get PhDs, but the whole concept of incentivizing the profession a little more than we do. Uh, what, 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 what kinds of things should we be doing to make people want to be teachers in the first place, and again, to make them stay—that is the—that is the key. I think uh, people who uh, start out as teachers often decide that, uh, for whatever reason, they can't continue to do it. Uh, John Dean of Gross Point Public Schools. I'll start with you this time. Thank you. I, I, I in many ways agree with Xavier. I think we have to find ways. Some of them financial. Some of them like work-life balance to make teaching a better place to be. I mean, I think we should be talking about loan forgiveness for teachers. I think we should be talking about, you know, most teachers, in order to keep their teaching certificate, basically have to get a master's degree, and that's a very expensive thing to do. I think there needs to be conversations about how do we make that more affordable or more of an option for teachers. I think we need to talk a little bit about work-life balance. Some of that's compensation-based. Some of that is other opportunities. And I know that sounds vague, but we need to think about how do we make teaching a place more people want to go do. And it needs to be like, frankly, our best and our brightest. We should be thinking about how do we get our 10 best high schoolers, 10 most talented high schoolers, get them into a teacher ed program at one of our universities, and then they can come back and give to their communities. We need to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, Ryan McLeod, uh, what do you think about incentivizing the teaching profession in a different way? Incentivizing our, our teachers is actually one of the uh, items that Dr. Rice from the uh, super, superintendent, state superintendent from uh, Michigan Department of Education, he actually listed one of those as one, some of the ideas that could potentially uh, help us with the teacher shortage. And I, I do think that recognizing the, uh, the need for that, especially um, you know, teaching's never been a, a, a place, even back when I uh, first became a teacher, I could have made much more going into industry doing other things, uh, especially, you know, uh, especially for people who have degrees in things like their science and mathematics. And, and now we're struggling to be able to fill, uh, you know, really any of our positions. And so recognizing uh, the need to incentivize, I think it's helpful. But I also think the the thing that is that has to be said is there is a, a a problem that we have here in our society in terms of how we view and respect and honor our teachers. Um, that teaching is a is a hard job. It is not. Uh, it, it, you know, we have a number of people right now who are coming into it from other careers mm -hmm. who uh, have this idea that that they want to give back to their communities they want to come and educate our, our youth 
Uh, and in the process of doing that, they realize when they get in the classroom that it's much more challenging to be able to uh, deliver a high quality uh, experience in a classroom than what they ever expected. And so I, I do think uh, that trying to find a way to shift uh, within our society, our level of respect and how we honor uh, the teachers. And we, we need to see that and uphold it as a career that is worth our best and brightest going into. Uh, I think that is a, a huge uh, kind of ask, but and I think it's going to be a long-term kind of goal, but I do think it's the, that is uh, ultimately what will shift this. Mm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. I want to read a social media comment and have uh, both our superintendents uh, react to it. Um, uh, let me find it here. A Shadowbot on, uh, on, uh, on Twitter says, if the governor is going to advocate for in-person education everywhere, she needs to put her authority behind a statewide mask mandate. Uh, that same Twitter uh, user says her son goes to his or her son goes to a school in Brighton with no mask mandate and usage in school about 10% among staff and students. The school environment reflects the community. They act like COVID is an afterthought. In-person learning is essential, but we still need to protect our kids. Uh, I would love to have both of you talk about what the governor should be doing in terms of those kinds of mandates. She she was very strong on mandates at the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of backlash to that, I think, backed her down a bit. Uh, but now she's saying, hey, everybody needs to go back to school, uh, should she be also saying, here are the things that I would like to require uh, in order for that in order for that to happen? Ryan McLeod, what do you think of that? I think early on in the pandemic, it made sense to to have some uh, higher level of mandates and to, if, whether it was from the state or from the federal government, it made it it made more sense from just simply because we didn't really, understand and we didn't really know what we were dealing with and uh, but I, I have always been and continue to be uh, an advocate for local control. I think the uh, our local school district, our local school board was elected to help and be able to make those decisions uh, with the guidance of, of uh, our local health department and and our state and, and federal uh, health guidance also. And the circumstances across the state, and even uh, in our local community, local communities around Detroit, are very different from one uh, community to another in terms of uh, the rates of COVID, positivity rates of COVID, and other things like that. So, I actually disagree that a, a statewide mandate uh, is something that would that would be helpful. I think it's uh, more flexibility to local districts to be able to uh, really react to the situation that they're experiencing on the ground with the input and guidance from their local health department, I think makes the most sense uh, to help us uh, keep our schools safe. Mm. Uh, John Dean, what do you think the governor should be doing with regard to the kinds of mandates that we saw early in the pandemic? A lot of people think that's maybe the way to get people back to full-time in-person learning statewide? I, I think early on in the pandemic, those pieces made some sense. I think we've been living without those mandates on a statewide basis now for nine months, a year. It feels like a lifetime. And now is not the time to reinstitute, reinstitute new statewide mandates. I do think it's important, and one of the things I did appreciate the governor said, though, was Earlier this year, school year, she was in the spot, and some other legislators were as well, saying basically, you should mask, but we're not going to make you. Those are really hard spots to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't like being put in the spot where they say, you should do this, but we're not going to make you. That's a challenge. I appreciate she didn't do that here. We're just focused on moving forward. We've been without a statewide mask mandate. Most of our schools are open. And I, I think we just need to keep focusing on how do we provide great instruction for kids. Okay. John Dean, superintendent of Gross Point Public Schools, and uh, Ryan McLeod, superintendent of East Point Community Schools. It was great to have both of you here with us on Detroit Today and continued good luck navigating the craziness of uh, the disruptions from COVID-19. Thanks for being with us. 
Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk about Matthew Stafford. Remember him? He was the quarterback for the Detroit Lions for many years. One year displaced from that, he's on a team that is headed for the Super Bowl. How should we as Detroiters think of that? We're going to talk with Terry Foster, former co-host of Valenian Foster on 97.1 The Ticket. And we want to hear from you. What do you think of Matthew Stafford going to the Super Bowl, finally not as a Lion? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for moving. Thanks for joining us. So it's official. Matthew Stafford is going to the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford, you remember him. He was the quarterback here of the Detroit Lions for many years. He left about a year ago to join the L.A. Rams and One year later, he is headed to football's largest stage, biggest game. He will be facing off against the Cincinnati Bengals, and he will be on top of the world, on top of the football world. Meanwhile, here in Detroit, we had a new quarterback, Jared Goff, who used to be the quarterback of the Rams, and we struggled. Struggled almost as badly as we have in any season in NFL history. So how are we supposed to think of Matthew Stafford, his move, and his newfound success? Should we be happy for him the way that you might be happy that a lover who jilted you goes on to find happiness and bliss in another relationship? Or should we be a little bitter and think, how come he couldn't do that for us? Why couldn't we get even to the playoffs most of the years that Matthew Stafford was our quarterback? I've been seeing on social media lots of different reactions to this news and lots of different reactions to the very idea of Matthew Stafford's newfound success. And so I wanted to talk about how we should be feeling as a community, as individuals, about what Matthew Stafford's doing and how it should inform the way we feel about ourselves and the Detroit miserable NFL experience. Here to help me sort through all those feelings is somebody who knows an awful lot about all of this. Terry Foster is a retired sports columnist and he was the co-host for a long time of Valenny and Foster on 97.1 The Ticket. Terry Foster, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. And this is one of those topics that are just all over the board. My <laughs> wife asked me, well, how are Detroit fans taking this? I said, they're happy, they're mad, they're sad, they're all over the place. <laughs> I can't sort it out. I, and I got to say, I'm one of those people. Uh, And I've seen you on social media talking an awful lot about this. So I want to start there. How are you processing this? What do you feel about Matthew Stafford going to the Super Bowl with the the L.A. Rams? Does that make you happy or are you jealous? Neither. I, I, you know, I don't care about his success because he's he's another athlete and that's the way I look at him. You know, I'm kind of happy for the guy because here in Detroit, they say, oh, he can't win a playoff game. He can't do this. But it's the Lions that can't win a playoff game. It's the Lions that are incompetent. And I've talked to a number of NFL people, not about Stafford, but about other people who the Lions have hired. And they said, this guy, and I'll go back, Steve Mariucci. I, I talked to a number of N- NFL people said, Steve Mariucci is a very good coach. Mm-hmm. 
but can he overcome the Lions? That's the question right there. And the answer was no, he could not. And I think this is another thing, and you can you can blame Stafford for having the ball in his hands and not being able to win games, but I think he's a good quarterback who can't overcome the Detroit Lions. And uh, there's a blessing in disguise for this whole thing. Um, <clears throat> one, I think it shows the real deep and blue Lion slappies, <laughs> how incompetent this organization is. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know this is. You know, I I love talking to young people because here's what they tell me. You know, T, the Lions have been bad for ten years. I said, no, 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 no. They've been, <laughs> They've bad, been bad for, for decades. <laughs> young young bucks. <laughs> they don't know the yeah. the conversations we're having today are the same ones we had in the '80s. Uh, not so much the 90s, but it started to crop up at the end of the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s. This is nothing new, but it shows um, the one. I I don't believe the Lions are a real organization. Um, They uh, have been incompetent for years. They have their boys running the team, at least William Clay Ford uh, Sr. did. Uh, they brought in Matt Millen. They brought in Marty Mornhamwig. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they just have poor leadership. And every time you bring some incompetent in, the Lions fans believe in them. This is going to be the guy. They're going to be able to do it. And then um, rather than say, you know, the Lions have a huge problem, they want to blame – a lot of them want to blame Matthew Stafford. They blame a player. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of the organization who they love, so I don't so, get it. So I got to say don't. that you know, with, with Matthew, with respect to Matthew Stafford, so I, I, I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm an alum of the University of Michigan, but I'm a big fan of the Georgia Bulldogs. I, I lo- loved that team for a really long time, and so I knew Matthew Stafford or knew of him before he was here in Detroit and was always a big fan of his. I thought he was uh, exactly the kind of sort of, um, you know, prototypical NFL-style quarterback. And so I was super excited when the Lions drafted him. I thought, well, this is the kind of person we need at that position, the kind of person that we hadn't had for such a long time. Um, And, of course, uh, you know, it, it turned out to be a big disappointment. But I, I guess I never felt like that was all on Matthew Stafford. I mean, I, I saw the guy play as hard as he could. I saw the guy play hurt. I saw him just put everything out there on the field. Yes, he would make mistakes sometimes. Yes, there were games we lost because of decisions that he made. But over overall, I, you know, this is a guy who gave us an awful lot. So I guess I have a hard time with the idea that we should wish him ill uh, now that he's gone. I didn't want him to leave in the first place, but uh, now that he's gone and he's having success, I think it's okay to be happy for him. It is okay to be happy for him, but I understand the people who feel jilted because he basically said, I want out. So you're either with us or against us. So once he said he wanted to be traded, which I totally understand that, but I understand people who say, okay, you're not with us, you're gone, so I, I don't care about you anymore. <laughs> so uh, that's just the way we kind of think here. Well, some people think in Detroit that um, you're either all in or you're all out. So it's a little bit different than Justin Verlander, who did not want to leave. Yeah, and uh, but people rooted for him with, with the Houston Astros. Uh, Matthew Stafford said, "I want out." That's true. So here's, but but let me tell you, here's. Here's the, the consistency with this organization, how bad it is. Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, and Dominican Sue, Matthew Stafford all said, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you do, just get rid of me. I, I don't, you know, I'd rather retire than play for the Detroit Lions. Um, Rob Gronkowski, who, um, who, you know, plays for Tampa now with New England, um, they threatened to trade him to the Lions. You know what my man said? I'd rather retire. <laughs> I'm going to retire. He did. That's I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to hear from uh, some of our listeners here. What do you think about Matthew Stafford and 
his unbelievable success in his first year away from the Detroit Lions. You happy for him? What do you think it says about us uh, as a football community here in Detroit? What do we need to do to get to the playoffs, maybe get to a Super Bowl where we have never been? Uh, the Detroit Lions have never made it quite that far. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with uh, Marl on the east side. Marl, what's on your mind? Thank you for having me. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy. I'm grateful. Uh, well, I'm happy for Matthew Stafford. Um, as far as like the Lions organization, I think they were hitting on the head. I don't even think this is a real organization. Um, and unfortunately, um, we for decades now we've watched great athletes, legendary athletes, pass this, through this team and have faced early retirement, yeah. or have seen success on other NFL franchises. Um, as far as the people who are hating on Matt right now, I think that's probably attributed to the whole Detroit versus everybody. <laughs> oh, you're either with us or you're against us. Amen. It's just really too bad that we carry that mentality it's like we can't be happy for an individual who's having success uh, away from this organization who has destroyed many athletes career mm-hmm. and has you know pretty much misled the fans you know every year it's like sure. hey this is going to be the year <laughs> this person we got this is going to change the organization it's, in reality we just need to get rid of the boards <laughs> we believe <laughs> every fall opinion. yeah every fall Marl, we believe and and by halloween you know that belief is is trampled uh, under the the footsteps of all the other teams in the NFL. Merle, I, I appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. Let's go to Brian in Dearborn. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, hey. thanks, Steve. Uh-huh. Uh, first off, I just gotta say, let's go Detroit Rams. <laughs> Detroit Rams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that what you, is how you're calling it? I can't wait let's for the go. ticker tape parade down Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for it. But you know, uh not to get too philosophical here, but there's like there's a purpose the Lions has in Detroit. And it is not to teach us that we are winners, okay? The Lions is here like the Church of Detroit, and it helps us understand the importance of enduring the impossible, right? Hmm. Why do we come back time and time again knowing we're never going to win? It's because that's what Detroit is. We get kicked down, we get punched, we get thrown around, we go through one terrible event after another, and what happens? We keep coming back. Mm. And the Lions is just like, it's like a training exercise. <laughs> it's telling you, you know, how to be a Detroiter. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, the, one of the oldest rivalries in football is the old Army-Navy football game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And starting right after 9-11 the Army started losing every game against the Navy. It went on for 15 years. And the first uh, game, I believe, that they won against the Navy was after the end of the Iraq War. And the old joke, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Navy veteran, so I can say this, but, you know, the old joke is this is just a long training exercise in teaching the Army how to deal with it. And so, uh, yeah, Brian, you know, I think... I appreciate that point of view. I, I, I love that you called and said that. Ter- you know, Terry... Foster, um, you know, talk about that that loyalty that we have in Detroit for the Lions. I mean, we, we love this team, and we, we will do anything for them. And I think that plays into the way that the ownership, the Ford family, handles it, that they could do anything with this, with this franchise, and they have. I mean, they've made horrible decisions for years, and we won't we won't go away. I mean, that, that that's kind of part of the problem. That is the part of the problem. Here's here's the, the bigger problem. There's no expectations for this team. People here celebrate if they win a game in December. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the oh, a few years ago they went they lost their first eight games, finally won a game, and I was covering it downtown. Some people jumped into a, a fountain because they were so happy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's sick. But on the flip side, we have expectations for the other teams. When the going to work Pistons had reached their sixth straight Eastern Conference Finals, mm-hmm. that wasn't good enough for people. They didn't like that team. They wanted that team disbanded. So there were expectations. The Red Wings, there's expectations. The Tigers, there's not as many, but there's some expectations there. There's none for the Detroit Lions. 
And, um, you know, and I, I talked to people and I, and I asked the question, why, why, why? And they said, well, this is our team and I love it. And, and, um, you know, just because they don't win, you know, I'm a, I'm a fair weather fan. I'm going to stick through them, uh, through thick or thin. And I, and I, once again, I said, well, why? Cause they don't care about you. Yeah. No, you know, you, if you tell the lions, Hey, I want to do this. If it's a fan base, they'll do the exact opposite. <laughs> so, they, you know, they don't care about you. And, um, but we're loyal. I, yeah. Yeah. But we're loyal. We're going to stick through our, my team. This is my team dog on it. If you say something else about it, I'm going to punch you in the face. Right. Right. All right. So Terry, we're going to run out of time in about 30 seconds, but do you think Matthew Stafford will win in two weeks uh, when he faces the Cincinnati Bengals and reach that pinnacle? Yeah, at this point, I do. I mean, the Rams, I as, as I've watched them play all season because we, it's a dysfunctional team, but it's a very talented team. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I have a lot of respect for Cincinnati. Cincinnati's not supposed to be here. They they're just road warriors, so they don't, you know, they just do what they have to do to win. They've got the next up-and-coming quarterback in yeah, Joe Burrow. They sure do. We're going to hear a lot about him over the years. And uh, in Cincinnati has got a bunch of young players not paying them very much money. So uh, this is an up-and-coming team. But this maybe this is where Cincinnati learns how to win and the Rams actually win it. So mm-hmm. I do expect Stafford to come, uh, you know, go back to L.A. with his championship ring. He'll come back to Detroit and flaunt it and <laughs> rub, uh, our, make people rub our noses. Right. <laughs> All right. Terry Foster, retired sports columnist and previous co-host of Valenian Foster on 97 won the ticket. Great to have you here and uh, have fun watching the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm going to have a blast. Thanks <laughs> for having me. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about a new project by Wayne State's Levin Center that describes how government oversight has shaped American life. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.